You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. Good. How is everyone? Good? Has everyone had their coffee this morning? Double coffees? Who's had a double coffee? I'm a double coffee people. Yeah, yeah, I've had a double coffee. Woo, come on. Uh, it's the way to do a Sunday. It's the way to do a Sunday. <laughs> all the, I'll, I'll hear all the, uh, yeah, all the yelling out people. I've had your double coffees. You guys look good this morning? Do you, do you look good? You've, just say to yourself as well, I look good. I look good. Just remind yourself, hey, I look good. <laughs> hey, um, it's so good to be here. I love coming, being here um, out at Northwest. It's so good just kind of being with you guys. This is a fun church. I mean, I love just the, the worship and the praise. I just feel like we all, get, we all hear each other and we all get wrapped up in worshiping and praising God. And it's a little bit harder in the theater, so it's nice being here because you can hear everyone singing together. It's absolutely Fantastic. And for those who haven't met me, my name's Simo and uh, my wife, Jess, down the front. We've got three beautiful children. Well, we know that two are beautiful. We don't know about the third one because it's on the way. We can't see it yet. It's on the way. We're guessing he's beautiful. He's a good-looking guy. Uh, he's a little man. But uh, it's good to be here. And uh, we are kicking off a brand new series this month. Who loves a new series Pastor Darren and I had such a fun time in Thailand, and we absolutely ab- obliterated the TV series on the aeroplane rides, you know, there and back, 16 hours flat. I just found a new show. I love new shows, you know. You find a new show, show and on the aeroplane, it's guilt-free, just like binge-watching, right? Like, you can't do anything else. Yeah, I mean, we could read our Bibles, but um, <laughs> Pastor Darren, yes, you read your Bible, didn't you? I'm, I'm just, I don't know, I was watching the TV. I don't know. And uh, anyway, we're starting a new series and it is called I Just Got Paid. I Just Got Paid. And as you can tell, the lovely queen here, beautiful, um, it's beautiful skin. Uh, it's, a, um, it's a money series. We're talking about money this month. For the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about money in church. And I just heard people go, oh. Oh no, no, we're talking about money. We're going there because money is such an integral part of our life, right? I mean, we work seven hours plus every single day during the week, uh, hopefully not on the weekends, but um, if you do, that's a lot of work. But we work for money to provide for our families, uh, to put food on the table, shelter, home. Our lives are very uh, entangled with money. And uh, if we don't And we need to learn what the Scriptures tell us about money and how we are to relate to money and how we are allowed to let money relate to us, I suppose. Um, But we need to learn as followers of Jesus how to deal with money well, how to deal with money good. So the next three weeks is all about dealing with money. It's not specific to tithes and offerings. It's just money in general. What did the Scriptures say about money and what did Jesus say about money? And um, obviously, money is a very complex issue. Uh, we're all kind of in a different area on our 
journey with Christ and in whatever area you might find yourself in or time with money you might find yourself in. We're all on a different journey and it's a complex journey and money is complex and we're obviously not going to be able to cover every single nuance about money in the scriptures over the next three weeks. And so if you've got any questions, please feel free to ask Pastor Darren or Beck <laughs> at the end of the service. I hope that's all right. Um, but scripture, scripture has many tensions. Scripture balances a lot of things. And sometimes we think they're contradictory. But they're not. They're tensions that balance truth. And so with money, there's a lot of tensions we're going to find throughout Scripture. It says to be content with little, to be content with much. But also we see that Scripture tells us that God wants to bless us so that we would be a blessing to others as well. Um, but today, my ty- uh, this, the portion that I'm going to cover today, I, I called my, the message this morning, if you want to write it down or type it in your phone or whatever. The title of my message this morning is, It's Not Me, It's You. It's not me, it's you. I don't know if anyone's ever like said that to a uh, in your dating life or whatever it is. It's not me, it's you. I'm sorry, you know. Um, oh, sorry, the wrong way around. It's not you, it's me. Oh, sorry, I say the other way around in uh, in uh, arguments sometimes with my wife. It's not me, it's you. Now the title of my message is sorry. It's not you, it's me. It's not you, it's me. And the scripture that we're sitting in for this series is in Matthew, where am I? Matthew 6, verse 19. And you would have heard this scripture a lot. I just want to read it out. So if you want to turn there, Matthew 6, verse 19. This is Jesus on the, at the Sermon on the Mount, and he's, he's teaching to his newly called disciples and the crowds. And he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves Treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one. And despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Some translations, particularly the New King James, says you cannot serve both God and mammon. And you probably think, what is mammon? Mammon was a word that Jesus used in the New Testament which described wealth, finances, and property. You kind of like a collaborative word for all those kind of things. Contrary belief is that a lot of people thought that it was the God of money, that mammon was some kind of God of money. That's not how it's translated. It just means possessions, property, and wealth. And so just in case, I just wanted to clear that one up. So this is our base scripture for this series over the next couple of weeks. And we're going to debunk a couple of myths. We're going to clarify some things. And our heart is that we would find ourselves freed up from the entanglement of money, and we'd find ourselves in a free and spacious place, a place that God has designed so that we are not entangled with money and the idea of money, but we are free to operate with money in this life the way that God and Scripture had designed us to. Amen? Who believes that God is good and that He's okay with money 
And he has a plan with how we operate with money. Now, before I delve into, I just want to set the scene for this base scripture, because I think we could gloss over this moment uh, where Jesus is teaching his disciples and the crowds on the mountain. And we think, you know, Jesus, when we think of this moment, it's one of the most famous moments in scripture where Jesus, it's the Sermon on the Mount, right? And he's talking about a whole lot of life things. And he's kind of just declaring and teaching how the kingdom of God operates. And we can gloss over this moment and think, oh, Jesus is teaching some nice parables. He's a great moral teacher that's teaching us how to love one another. But in fact, this was quite an explosive kind of message that he was bringing. This was not just a comfortable, nice kind of thing. He wasn't just your ordinary, everyday prophet that was bringing nice moral teaching. No, this moment was quite pivotal in the moment of Jesus on the earth bringing the kingdom of God. And uh, to set the scene, Jesus, uh, if we flick back, and you don't have to flick back, I'm just going to go back there, uh, uh, closer at the start of Matthew. It says that, that from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. He's walking around the villages, the towns around the Sea of Galilee, and he's declaring, repent, or change the way you think, or get ready because there's some ideas that I have that you're going to have to reckon with, and you're going to have to decide how you're going to respond to the things I have to say because the kingdom of God is here. And if we rewind all the way back to the beginning, to creation, we begin to see what this kingdom of God is all about. So if we flick back, and I'll just flick back for you, you don't have to come all the way back with me, to Genesis on the first two pages, we see the original plan of this idea of the kingdom of God because we could see that Jesus saying, repent for the kingdom of God is here. We're like, what is the kingdom of God? Right? What, what does this mean to a Jewish fisherman or fisherwoman who in the time was sitting there listening to this man, Jesus, who they did not realize was the Messiah at the time. What did the kingdom of God mean to them as they're listening to him? We need to put ourselves, kind of switch on our imagination and, and, and kind of think, what did it mean to a Jewish person in this time? But if we flick back to Genesis, we see that God was forming this planet. God's plan with the Trinity was to form this beautiful planet called Earth in its raw state. And he creates it. And when he finishes creating it, he places man and woman at the top. It's kind of the finished work. It's like the cake topping, you know. The, the wedding couple, classic picture of the couple on top of the cake. But if you can picture the earth as a cake, I don't know, it'd be pretty good cake if you could make it. But God creates the planet, he creates earth, and man and woman, he places them in the garden. And he says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So God's plan, God's in this moment, God is saying, hey, I have a kingdom that I want to establish and I'm going to do it with you. His plan was to co-rule, to co-subdue with human beings. He says, I'm, we're going to create an amazing planet. We're going to turn this planet, this raw place that I've made together, we're going to turn it into something amazing. And we know, obviously, that 
Adam and Eve had different plans. They didn't they decided to eat of the forbidden fruit. They didn't trust that God had their best interests at heart. And they rebelled. And from that moment on, there was kind of a new kingdom that emerged. And it was the kingdom of this place, the world that the scriptures talk about. The, you know, the, it's a kingdom of man. So the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. And we see that sin started to kind of ripple throughout history and started to destroy humankind. And, and God's plan wasn't coming to pass. And we see that the story of scripture is that God is starting to, we see throughout what God raises up a people and his plan is always he wanted to reboot this thing called the kingdom of God and he wanted to recreate a people and he see the so he he leads them out of Egypt he rescues them out of Egypt and Mount Sinai he gives them plans to live by this is how we're going to do it and again because we're people they all stuffed up they stuffed the plan up they ruined the plan but God had a plan before the foundations of the earth so it was all right and then we see this moment here is Jesus speaking to a whole bunch of Jewish fishermen and all kinds of other Jewish people. And they have in this mind this, this idea that God throughout the ages, because they go to synagogue every single week, is trying to recreate a people. He's trying to establish a kingdom. And here is this man that says, the kingdom of God is here. They're like, this is radical. These people are like, what you're saying? The kingdom of God is here? But we, I mean, they're just, there's stories to us we've been taught as kids. And here's this man saying the kingdom of God is here. It was explosive. No wonder the Pharisees didn't like Jesus. And so here he is and he starts to, he, how does Jesus bring the kingdom of God? It's through his words and through his deeds. And here we see Jesus establishing and bringing the kingdom of God through the things that he teaches on the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, this is how the kingdom operates. This is how my people operate. They don't operate like the kingdom of this world. No, they operate like this. And it's an upside-down kingdom, and we see through the Sermon on the Mount, God flips upside down, or Jesus flips upside down all these ideas about life and the way we do life. And we come to this moment where God, where Jesus is talking about money. He's like, we do it different. The kingdom of God, my people, we operate different. And when he says repent, he's saying, you've got to decide. Are you going you gonna to change the way you think to operate in the way that I want to operate and the best plan that I have for humanity, because God's plan is to redeem and resurrect the goodness of humanity, His original plan. And He's saying, and these are the things that He's teaching. So it's not just a good, nice little teaching about money. He's like, no, this is a bigger picture than money. This is an eternal picture. This is my plan for humanity. This is my plan to see that you have a prosperous life now and in the age to come. And here is His teaching on money. And I think if He included the idea of money on the Sermon on the Mount, it's like his manifesto. I think we should take note and we should think money is important to God. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And in the next few weeks, how does that sound? So it's not just about money. It's not just about us and our relationship to money. It's about the greater plan of how God wants to use us in establishing the kingdom of God now and into the future. Amen? Amen. So, who likes cheeseburgers? 
<laughs> I know it's a little bit of a different tangent. Who likes cheese? I love a good cheeseburger. Who knows the feeling, especially Monopoly, the Monopoly game that McDonald's is on? Oh, I tell you what, they're going to take all my money, I tell you. Who knows the feeling? You're coming home from work, you're hungry. You're hungry on the way home from work, and, there, and there's a McDonald's conveniently placed on your route home. I don't know how they do it. They just, they figure it out. KFC hasn't figured it out as much. You've got to go out of your way a bit to get the KFC. McDonald's has nailed it. But you're driving home, and you thought, all right, I'm starving. I'm a little, I'm hangry. You know, like, I'm hungry, angry. Like, I'm a little bit hungry, angry now. No, I'm not angry. I'm just hungry. And, um... You're driving home and you're like, okay, I've got, to put, I've got to make dinner. That's like, that's an hour away. I'm hungry right now. McDonald's is on the way. And you look down in the center console. Oh, there's some cash down there. And I love loose change. I love loose change because the loose chains, change has broken free of the budget. It's untracked money. Like, it's, it's free money, right? It's like it broke free and it's like, yes. No one will know that I had a cheeseburger. It's okay. Like, this is free money. This is, here we go. And I start justifying it in my mind. I'm like, you know, I better have this cheeseburger because I'm going be, to be snappy at my kids. I'm going to say something to Jess because I'm hangry. And I'm doing it for my family, you know. <laughs> I'm getting this cheeseburger for my family. I love my family. This is love right now. And something compels me to... Get this cheeseburger. I'm just, my desires overwhelm me. I go through and, and the line is like 15 cars deep. And I'm like, no, she's going to know I went through drive through because I'll be home late. No. But I get that cheeseburger. Now, I could blame the cheeseburger. I could blame McDonald's and say they put nicotine in the buns or something. You know, they, they put something in there. There's something sinister going on. The cheeseburgers made me do it. But the reality is, it's my fault. It's not the cheeseburgers. I could, also, I could almost say to the cheeseburger, it's not you. It's not you, cheeseburger. It's me. Like, look, let's be honest. It's me. There's some stuff I've got to work out. And when it comes to money, there's a bit of a myth throughout church life that money is evil, that money is inherently evil, and that there's some kind of spiritual force around money that is like making us do stuff that is, that is controlling my desires and all kinds of things. And the thing I want to quickly talk about this morning is that money isn't evil. And there's a scripture that kind of clarifies this for us. And this is the scripture that gets taken out of context for a bit. I think it's up on the screen. Money isn't evil. Oh, here we go. 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 10 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And that those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Bit of a warning there. For the love of money, here we go. This is the most misquoted scripture a lot of the time when it comes to money. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Not money itself, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. To finish the bit, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Well, intense. Um, it's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not money itself. And so there's three things this morning 
uh, that I just want to bring out of this passage to describe why money isn't evil, how it isn't evil, and how God kind of views money in this sense. Just like when God created the heavens and the earth, and He put Adam and Eve in the garden, He said, hey, there's a whole bunch of raw potential here. There's timber, there's stone, there's like whatever you want. There's, there, it's here in the garden. He's like, I'm giving you the power to harness this, the raw potential that I've placed here on the planet to turn into something for the glory of God. And so it's the same with money. And so I've got a three, three points here this morning that just debunk this idea. Money isn't evil. It's temporary. And so this is Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5. It's not evil. It's just temporary. And this is where Jesus is teaching to us. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and vermin destroy. And you're probably thinking, moths and like, you know, we've got plastic money now. Ancient Near Eastern culture, uh, the most valuable possessions were their clothes. So this is where Jesus is speaking directly to the culture. He's saying their most valued possessions, where they held their security and their hope was in the riches of their clothing. And here Jesus is saying, he's not saying money is evil. He's just saying, hey, 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 don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth. Don't store up for yourselves possessions. Don't hope in this stuff because it's temporary. Moths and vermin destroy. And where thieves break in and steal, he says it could be here one day and it can go another. You know, we could have... I mean, we see it. We watched um, The Big Short. Who's seen the movie The Big Short about the, the, was it the GFC? That was the movie about the GFC and the housing market in the U.S. Overnight, just tanks and money just disappears. Finances, money, and possessions are temporal. It's not evil. It's just they're here one day and they're gone the next. And Jesus is saying, don't put your hope in them. Don't, Don't trust in them for your security. I was reading in a news article this morning that Australia is one of the most indebted nations on the planet, especially when it comes to where we have the highest mortgages compared to the rest of the world because we put so much hope as a culture. We are so obsessed with the property market that we think, oh, I'm going to put everything, I'm going to devote my life to getting a property portfolio so that I will have enough in the future. And we stake everything on that. But we know the economies can shift. Everything can change in a moment. Boom. Our security in this kind of finance, gone. So Jesus is saying, it's not evil. It's just temporary. Don't put your hope. It's, he's just saying it's foolish to put our hope purely in possessions and property and wealth and finances. He's not saying it's evil. It's just temporary. I love... Um, I think I've got a quote here. Is there a quote on my next slide? Yeah, it's from one of the commentators. It just says, What Jesus precludes here is the accumulation of massive amounts of treasure, not gold, like pirate gold, but finances, as a life goal. He's like, don't orient your life towards hoarding wealth. It's just foolish. He's just saying it's temporary. It's not evil. It's just, it's temporary. It's going to be gone one day. Cool. How are we? We good? All right. I love this in Proverbs 4.23. It just says, above, else, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Cool. 
Paul in Philippians 4, 12, 13. I think that's the next scripture I had up. Maybe it's not. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. He says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I heard Joyce Meyer say, there's a lot of pain in that phrase, I learned. (laughs) I learned the secret of being content. Yeah, in any and every situation, whether we're well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Jesus is saying, don't find strength from the trust you have in your finances. Find strength in God. Find strength in him. How good is that? All right, number two. Finances, earthly goods, they're not evil. Money isn't evil. But they can, it's, but it's to be brokered. I, tried, I didn't want to use the word steward because it's such a Christianese word. But when we think of money, we think of like, think of a finance broker or a stock broker, right? We are stewards. We are people who are brokering God's finances. So we know God is our provider. God provides us with everything we need, and we thank Him for the things that He provides us with. Our employer isn't our financer. God is our financer. We trust in Him. And so we on this earth, just like Adam and Eve when they were placed in the garden, were given all this raw potential. God's like, hey, money isn't evil, but it can be brokered. You can use it in all kinds of way in this life, right? So we are brokers of finance. We are stewards. We have been placed with a responsibility with this money, which isn't evil, can be used for evil, and we have a choice how to broker these finances. We have a choice. We can use it for evil, or we can use it for good. We can use it for self, uh, selfish gain, or we can use it to be generous and loving and pour out on other people. We have the responsibility to broker these finances. And I love what it says here. As it continues, Jesus says, But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. So God's given us finances, saying, Don't store it or hoard it here on earth, but store it and lay up treasures in heaven. Now, what does this mean? What does it mean to lay up treasures in heaven? He says, But lay up, store it for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we have a scripture in 1 Timothy, I believe. So what does it mean to store up treasures in heaven? This gives us a clue. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share... In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So if we go back one step, one, one thing, slide, it says command them to do good. So how do we lay up for, as treasures in, in heaven? We do good. We be rich in good deeds. And we're generous and willing to share. 
So we can do all these things with our finances and our possessions and things that we have on earth, with our temporary earthly things. God says, hey, you can, use, you can broker this stuff in this way to store up treasures in heaven. I think it's kind of it's insider trading. God's giving us a bit of a clue. He's like, my kingdom works differently. Here's a clue. If you want your finances, the stock, whatever you want to think about it as, he's like, don't store it on earth, it's temporary. Store it in heaven where it's going to be safe and you're going to be rewarded in an age to come. God's all about rewards. If you look all through Scripture, He says, do this, you'll be rewarded. Do this, you'll be rewarded. And so He's giving us a clue. You can use your finances for good and you'll be blessed. You can do it, use it for evil or you can use it for good. It's not the money that is evil. It's our actions towards our finances and our possessions that decide whether they're evil or not. Pursue a heavenly reward, not earthly gain. If money was evil, why would God say, do these things to store up treasures in heaven? Why would he say, use this evil stuff to do good things? No. He's saying, money's money. You can use it to do good and store up treasures in heaven. Cool. Point number three, earthly goods or finances, money. It's not evil. It's just a terrible master. It's just an absolutely horrible, great servant. Absolutely great servant. Horrible master. So we, as we move through, we move past the eyes, the lamp of the body part, and down the bottom it says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. He's saying you can't serve both God and money. As followers of Jesus, we have one king. We have one Lord, we have one Savior, and here Jesus is saying, he's like, you can't follow two kings. You can't follow, you can't be a slave to two kings. He's saying, I'm the better king. If you follow my words and my teachings, it will go well for you. But if you follow, if you lead after money and the world's culture and ideas, it will lead you into ruin. Who knows that money can do some awesome things? Who's done some great things with money? money? Money provides. Money can release people from a moment of hardship. Money can fulfill great desires for your family to go on a holiday, which in turn, it's not the money that does the great thing, but it just releases you to be able to do the great thing. Like money is a great servant. And we're not going to touch on it today and maybe not too much. Oh, no, in the next couple of weeks we will that money can release and do a whole lot of things for the kingdom of God and for us in this lifetime. And God's plan is that we'd prosper and be able to do those things. But first, we have to, the order of priorities have to be right. And if finances or possessions are our master, we're in a whole world of hurt. So Jesus says we need to remove that kind of thing. We need to shift our life and allow God to be our master, to let the Holy Spirit teach us and counsel us in the things of how to use our finances, not chase after the desires in our heart, after you know how money can gratify me, because who knows, once we're entangled in a web of financial difficulty and all kinds of things, wherever our desires led us down a wrong path, we're bound and we're caught up. And Jesus is saying, it's a terrible master. It's not evil. It's just, it's a horrible master. I could imagine, you know, like, Walking a dog, the normal thing to walk a dog is that 
I am the one leading my dog. All right? I'm the one leading my dog. Now, if my dog was leading me, if, the, you know, in some way the dog's standing up on its two legs, I don't know, and I'm down on my foot, it would be weird. And it's the same in the kingdom of God. God's just like, money leading you doesn't work. It's strange. It's not going to produce good results. He's saying, so let me lead you in your finances. Release control of your finances and trust me. Have you asked God recently, what do you want me to do with my finances? We kind of separate it from our spiritual life a little bit. It's like, here's my spiritual life and here's my practical life. Because like, ask me what to do with your finances. Ask me for wisdom. Ask me for strategy, how to invest well, because that's great. Ask God, let Him be the master of our finances. Let Him teach us how to broker finances in this world well. Is this good? Cheeseburgers can be a terrible master. <laughs> Sugar is a terrible master. Doesn't mean sugar's evil. It just means I need to be master of the cheeseburgers. I like that, actually. Sounds a bit strange. <laughs> master of the cheeseburgers. I need to have self-control over my cheeseburger addiction or over my sugar addiction. Cheeseburgers make a terrible master. Just fantastic. <laughs> because the result of finances being our master is fear which is faith in reverse, a belief in all the wrong things that are going to happen. It's fear, it's anxiety, it's stress. It's a, it's a smothered kind of world that when we let finances and money dictate our life, but when we let God dictate our life, things start to fall off. Stress and anxiety starts to fall off because, I go, you know, I don't need a house. It's okay. God's going to provide, and I'll have one one day. Or I don't need that thing. It's okay. I can live with joy and peace without all these things that I think I need, but they're just wants. You know what I mean? God will supply our every need. I will trust in Him and Him alone. I'm not going to start doing things against the Word of God to get the finances and the things I want. No, I'm going to submit my life to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and God of the universe and the heavens, and I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to do the thing that Adam and Eve couldn't in the beginning. I'm going to trust that He has my best interests at heart, and I'm going to place the money and all the things that I want in His hands. I'm going to go, God, I give it to you. I'm going to trust you because I believe that the outcome is going to be way better than the outcome that I want. And we relinquish our kingdom to Him, and we say, Your kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you. And so we're going to keep talking about this over the next couple of weeks, but I just want to finish that up with this moment after Jesus speaks and preaches on the Sermon of the Mount. And it, to, to summarize everything, at the end of his message, all these things he talks about, he talks about uh, asking and seeking and knocking, um, True and false disciples judging each other, salt and light, uh, murder, adultery, divorce, love for enemies, all these kind of things. Obviously, treasures in heaven. And he comes to the end in Matthew 7, 24. And this is the summary of his Sermon on the Mount to everyone who's listening. He says, Therefore, anyone who has 
who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it's had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And when Jesus has finished saying all these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught with one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So essentially what God is saying about money and finances in this moment, he's saying, if you put them into practice, you're going to build your life on a firm foundation. He's like, trust me, things are going to come in life, and if you build on this firm foundation, even though it might seem foolish sometimes to this world and the culture of this world, your house will not be shaken. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to delve into different aspects of this, but I just want to challenge you with that thought. Build your house on a firm foundation. Put these things into action. And today, you know, I just wanted to bring a message about the, to debunk the fact that money isn't evil. It's a tool that we can use for good or evil. It's a tool that we can use to build our house on either sand or on rock. So choose and trust in Him. Put our trust in Jesus to build on a firm foundation. Is that good? Is that all right? Come on. Hey, I just want to... Um, Finish in prayer, if that's all right. Because this issue of money, that we're, we're, this series isn't to be a series where people feel condemned or judged about the financial positions they may be in or the decisions they've made in the past. God's grace, His grace covers all. And there's always a new beginning. There's always a fresh hope. There's always a fresh start. But this series is really just to to illuminate God's plan for our finances in our life so that we can be free from those entanglements and we can live this life with perseverance. We can live it with tenacity. We can live it with focus, advancing the kingdom of God, doing what God wants us to do without being held back by this thing of finances or a wrong idea of how to use finances in our life. It's really to free us and to release us into a whole new way of living, which is God's plan and His design for our life. So let's just pray. Lord, I thank You for Your, for your Word. I thank You, Lord, that You don't leave us empty-handed with some things like this. But Lord, You give us instruction. You give us guidance, and we thank you, Lord, that you have, you have given us the Holy Spirit, who is our counselor, who is our teacher, and we can always call upon you for wisdom and strategy beyond what Scripture describes in more nuanced circumstances, Lord. And I, I just pray for where anyone and everyone is at right now in this journey with their finances, because it can have such a gripping hold on our life. I just ask, Lord, that your grace will be right here with them right now, I pray, Lord, that your hope in any situation would be right there with them. And Lord, I pray that they would shift their trust and their hope from the circumstances of lack or even abundance, God. But they would shift it to you. And Lord, I pray your peace would come. The peace that goes beyond all understanding. And Lord, I just, pray, I just see stress and anxiety over finances washing away because people know who their God is. And if God is for us, who can be against us? 
So I thank you that you're with us, Lord. I thank you that you care about our finances. You know how we feel. You know how this trips us up sometimes. And Lord, I just pray you speak to us right now. And over the next three weeks, that you would just liberate us into a whole new realm of how to operate with our finances. That we'd be free of entanglement and we'd be doing it in your way and your plan, Lord. We thank you in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Pastor Beck. It's great. Great word. I love that we're talking about this in church. You know, it, it frees us up. It allows us, you know, you said one word early on, and I don't know if it was deliberate, but it reminded me of a verse. Um, you used the word spacious place. And there's that passage in, in Psalms that talks about, you know, he brings us into a spacious place. And, you know, when you're in that place with finance... And I know that that is not where we all are. Um, it just gives us opportunities to dream. You know, when you get a vision from God sometimes or there might be just this thing that you'd love to be able to do but you feel tied down or you feel held back because finance doesn't allow you to, for example, only work four and a half days, not five or whatever. So this is going to be a great series for us. I'm excited. Oh, look. Wow, Josh, that's incredible. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. Have an awesome week, church. We're going to finish up there. Um, hang around. Um, there's drinks out the back. Um, connect with somebody before you go and organise a lunch date, a coffee date this week. Cool. Have a good week. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.